don't know. I'm not gonna say that's a fear of mine, but it's <laughs> but it's something that would like concern me. What like waking up and realizing you had a twin? Yeah. Oh my god, I think it would be the best. Really? Well, I wouldn't want to be separated at birth from them. Like, yeah, I that would be. Have grown up with them and live with them, but I think it would be. I w- you I would just, welcome that kind of surprise. I'd be like, we're in a band. <laughs> <laughs> Like, right away. <laughs> can you keep rhythm? Yes. I need someone who can keep rhythm. <laughs> I, we share DNA. I know you got this. <laughs> Rehearsal is tomorrow. Welcome to the Edgy Punks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. Really excited for this week's conversation with my friend, Hannah Liuzzo. She is from the band Lilith, who recently put out a brand new single, a two-song single on a cassette. It's called I'll Come Over, backed with uh, In Real Life. It is out on Disposable America. Disposable America is a Boston-based record label that we've been uh, doing some some sharing of music with. And I'm really glad that Hannah was willing to do this conversation because she has a fascinating background in music education and instrument development and creation of instruments and such. Uh, so you get to hear a really cool uh, aspect of the music realm that I was not aware of until this conversation. Um We also get into a lot of the politics of femme representation in music, as well as how to like teach dudes to be better in the scene and book better, more inclusive uh, gigs and how to just genuinely learn how to listen and take up less space. It's a fantastic, fantastic and necessary conversation. And we get into what it's like teaching kids, like little kids about music and even just what it's like teaching in general and the way that we can mold the minds of the youths throughout, uh, through using music. And I I love it so much. Uh, Hannah came over and we just sat on my back porch. It was a beautiful night the other night and we just sat out there and chatted. It was really wonderful. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm not going to dilly dally too much more other than to tell you to follow us on Instagram at at, uh, edupunkspod and same on Twitter. Uh, And also... We have a Facebook group, which is in the show notes if you want to join it and be part of the community chatting about uh, punk education stuff. Join it. Join it. And then let's let's chat some more and let's get some more folks on this podcast and let's keep the conversation going beyond the podcast uh, itself. Um, Yeah, that's really all I got. I'm really excited that um, the iTunes store finally changed the the artwork for the podcast so now you can see the super cool uh logo that we commissioned and yeah hell yeah so got some cool stuff 
planned for the upcoming um, episodes, but a quick reminder, I am taking off the last week of each month, so next week there will not be a podcast. So just a heads up at the top, and I'll probably remind you at the end as well. But for now, let's get into this conversation with Hannah Liuzzo. All right, so I'm sitting here with my friend Hannah. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How's it going? I'm okay. <laughs> We're sitting on my back porch. It's nice. Such a nice night. I haven't seen any mosquitoes yet. No, I haven't either. That's honestly, that was one of my biggest concerns when I suggested meeting out here. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if she'll want to like be out where mosquitoes are, but it feels... I haven't been bit yet. I sleep with a door open to my room and mm-hmm. have no mosquitoes. Hell yeah. I don't know if I'm like a repellent person or if it's just city living, but <laughs> it hasn't been an issue for me this summer. <laughs> um, so, Hannah, why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you come from, how okay. you got here? Here in the seat. <laughs> I don't know how I got here in the seat. but You uh, drove here at some point. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in a band called Lilith. And I live in Alston. I've been there for, I don't know, like five years, I think. Yeah, five years. That feels like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we gig a lot in Boston. We, um, yeah, we're working on a record. Mm-hmm. It's just about done. My part's done. Nice. It's getting mixed right now, so that's really exciting. And yeah, I play the guitar, and I sing and write songs. Hell yeah. Yeah. What else do you do in the world of music and education and stuff um right now i work for an instrument making company so like my day-to-day is very music oriented and it's but it's classical music oriented so it's like a whole nother side of the music universe so i do a lot of like artist relations and like pr stuff in that area um but i come from a background of taking music lessons and teaching music so are you like you're are you making instruments or are you like working for a company that makes instruments? So that I the second one. I work for a company that makes instruments, but it's actually really cool cuz they okay. make them all it's all like one building. Oh, so wow. I'm on the third floor, got my my desk, my office. Then the fourth floor is where they do all the instrument making and we do flutes. So um yeah, it's wild because I'll run up and down the stairs all day between like my desk and watching people make flutes and like talking yeah. with the flute makers and being like, "Oh, I need this change. I need yeah. this adjustment." So it's pretty interesting. It's um it's it's a lot more uh it's a lot more handwork than people expect and it's a lot more like it's a smaller operation than I think people expect. Yeah, I mean, I've watched how I've watched like a couple of my buddies have made guitars and stuff. Yeah. And it's wild what goes into making them. It's so much. It, it I and even violins like, and stuff like Oh man, anything with wood is is a whole nother world that I know nothing about because you have to have knowledge of like different wood types and yeah. aged woods and how to prepare wood. But yeah, all all handmade instruments are like really truly works of art. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's fascinating how many can get like like churned out. Like um, that's why it makes that's why when I think about the guitars that are like especially like acoustic guitars that are like. Um, super fancy and expensive that I see in like guitar center or whatever. I'm like, yeah. 
who would pay $4,000 for a guitar? And then you realize, oh, only like a handful of these were made. Right. All right. No, that makes sense. So <laughs> guess, probably made guess how with much, all of the love. Yeah. Guess how much a handmade flute costs. How much? Just take a guess. 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 This always $2,500. More. I'm doing the up More? finger. Yeah, I'm doing the up finger. <laughs> Five grand. Up finger. Again. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They start at like 13000 and honestly, they go up to like $80,000. For a handmade flute. Yeah, because you can get platinum. You can get like 19.5 karat gold. So you're getting like this hunk of, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're... They're like luxury vehicles. What? Very fancy, fancy people play them. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. For people whose, like, whole thing is, like, that's their life. Oh, yeah. Is that instrument? I mm-hmm. get it. Yeah, so it's like it's like paying for a, uh, I don't know. I don't th- it's weird because there aren't a lot of other professions where you have to buy, like, a $50,000 piece of equipment to, to have do a it, job. To do it, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of orchestras right now that are trying to petition for, um their players to have some sort of stipend or fund Mm -hmm. so they can help at least pay for a new instrument because it's like there's really no other jobs or it's like that wasn't there a woman in the bso that's like oh elizabeth bro this is this is actually extremely badass yeah she's a total badass and has been principal flute of the bso for years and years and is um she was like i think one of the first female um principals of boston or maybe like one of the longer standing ones uh, but she is she uh, is in the middle of a wage gap lawsuit. Yeah. So she's petitioning right now because the principal oboe player who is, has been in the orchestra for the same amount of time yeah. has like the same responsibility, um, makes twenty five percent more than her. That's so wild. Yeah. So she's she got the numbers. You know, she went to the orchestra. Mm-hmm. They they didn't do anything. Didn't yeah. give her a raise. So now she's like, okay, well we're suing them. So yeah. so badass. All, all the power to Elizabeth Rowe. I'm, like, a big fan. No, when I saw that, I was like, hell yeah, you get it. Yeah. Get that money. Get and paid. she's she's incredible. She's, like, a... Oh, yeah. She's big time. Yeah, that's that's so... That's so cool to me. Yeah, I'm going to um, follow that story. But you didn't necessarily go to school to work for a music making music instrument no what did you go to school for to play music yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it always happens like that doesn't it like it's like you never i don't know to some degree yeah yeah Yeah. it was like um a weird i don't know my transition from teaching to this was kind of a weird serendipity thing because i was like shopping for a new flute because i actually was a flute performance major oh so this is why you know this stuff yeah this is like this is like my thing yeah this is like my yeah it was my jam yeah Um, but yeah, so I was like teaching and freelancing and was shopping for a new flute. Like, we're, who has cash for that? Mm-hmm. And so I just saw they had like a job listing on the website that I was looking at and just mm-hmm. applied and got the job. But yeah, before that, I was uh, studying music performance, teaching, thinking about hmm. music all day, every day, hmm. playing music all day, every day. Dang, that's yeah. wild. And so you were teaching music for a little while. Um, what did you, how did you get into doing that? Um, okay, so. Anyone who has attempted to be a music ed major, it's, it's, oh man. Do you know anyone who's done music ed at college? So you get, you kind of, you sign up for college, you get your, um, you get your, uh, what's it called when, what's it called when you have your, uh, your, not your transcript, your, you have to fill in all your classes. Oh, your degree audit. 
Your degree audit. Yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds right. I was just writing about one yesterday. Perfect. Yeah. I figured you'd be the person. It's to a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, life. you you sign up freshman year through senior year are pretty much spelled out for you. All your classes are just like mm-hmm. there, so you don't have yep. electives. You don't get to like do anything outside of your department. Mm-hmm. And oh man, my big reason for I started as an ed major. I was like, I'm going to do music ed. I'm going to be like a high school or middle school or college music teacher. I'm going to be a music teacher. That was yeah. like my yeah. thing. Yeah. And then there was an 8 a.m. class for something that I had no interest in. And then I realized if I switched to performance, I could not do that. But it actually ended up being sick because a performance degree is like wide open. Yeah. So I did like painting and creative writing and like took French classes. And I got to like actually take advantage of the university experience. And I had a ton of free time to um, have students students yeah so it was weird because like all my friends who were ed majors were taking like formal education classes like ed, music ed 101 <laughs> yep, yep. doing like um interning or, or um what is it called when you stu- student teaching yeah and i was just like i don't know that seems i don't know that's not how i want to do it so i just um did like a craigslist post and ended up with like a full studio of students from hey yeah from freshman year on so i always had like a rotation of kids coming in it's cool when you go to college because you can use the practice room spaces yeah to do whatever you want yeah and so i was like i'm making a business <laughs> Yeah. 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 So it's cool. You can make some money. Hell yeah. And you can get like hands-on experience teaching. And Hell then, yeah. 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 So it was like, I was just like, this isn't working for me. I kind of want to do it my way. And it ends up being great. I had a bunch of kids, God. saw them all the time, hung out with them all the time. It was really fun. That reminds me of when, so when we were in college, my buddies and I, we ran the musicians guild on campus and we basically ran our college music scene for like three years and just booked gigs for like there were like 20 or so bands at oregon state university and we just booked and we booked we booked in town we booked on campus and we were able to reserve there's this one space that was used that we could book for like events and stuff like that. And we would just book it sometimes just so none of us ever had to buy practice space. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we would book it out for a day. Yeah. A full day. And then we would work with each band on when you were going in to practice that. Like Saturdays, yeah. like we'd book it for the whole day or like a Wednesday. So bands could then go in at certain times. Yeah. And it made it so that like none of us ever had to pay for practice space. That's very cool. See, because when you pay all that money for college, you've yeah. got to find a way to use the resources. Exactly. you got to cash in, make that money back. If you're listening <laughs> and you're a college student right now, work the system. Yes, there are loopholes. There are tons of resources. you got to find out what works for you. Exactly. Monetize. <laughs> and steal as much as you can. <laughs> you can steal bagels from the dining hall. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like right now, oh no, I'm not even going to say it because my dean of students listens to this podcast. <laughs> Nothing happened. No, it's totally fine, John Silveria. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> so were you teaching like... Um, were you teaching flute then, or were you teaching other instruments? So I, like, I like we were talking about before, I have, like, a lot of energy and can't sit still. <laughs> Same! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so in, uh, like, middle school and stuff, in band class, uh, where I went to high school, I was fortunate enough, actually the whole school system, middle school, high school, I was fortunate enough to be in a program where they had instruments, they, like, supplied them for students. Oh, wow. Not all of them, but, yeah. but some of them. And yeah. so I would, like, learn something, get bored, and try and learn another thing. <laughs> so, like, by the time I was in college, I was like, okay, like, I know enough to get 
anyone started on something. Yeah. So I would just take students on whatever. Yeah. Like I would, but I mostly had piano and flute because that was like what I was actually okay. invested in and had, you know, years of lessons in. Mm-hmm. So I was mostly doing that, but some guitar, you know, yeah. a little bit of clarinet, some trumpet guys, you know, you know just yeah. what, whoever emailed me back. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can you teach me some sax? I, I can figure it out Probably. by the time we meet up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I can figure it out. Yeah. So I used to be like a really big, um, I guess I still am. I'm a really big Incubus fan. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And one of the their guitarists, Mike Einzinger, um, is like notorious for being able to just like pick up an instrument and like kind of look at it, pluck it, do like blowing it, whatever. Yeah. And within like a couple minutes, just figuring out how to play it. Mm. And like there's like a whole video of him, like someone just bringing him a bunch of <laughs> instruments from all over the world. That's awesome. And he just figures out how to play them and just plays them like ridiculously. That's amazing. And that's what that kind of reminded me of. Just like, hey, could you give me lessons on this insert random instrument? And be like, yeah, just give me a couple minutes. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am that way, and it's a blessing and a curse. Like, I can figure something out, but yeah. I also, like, plateau really early. Like, I'm just like, okay, I'm only ever going to be this good at this, so now I have to move on. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that that is something to be very, very self-aware about, because I think I have a similar problem. Oh, yeah, but it, because it, you, you can, you got to monetize. Yeah, well, 100%. <laughs> Why do you think I do this? Why do you think I go talk at other colleges? Like, I've really only done as much as I've ever going to do. I might as well make money on it. <laughs> I think I understand you now. <laughs> yes. I'm the, the punk that wants to get paid. Oh, cool. Get that on a t-shirt. Yeah. No, 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 no. Make it into a chat book. You're right. Yeah. I should. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Now I got a new <laughs> chat book idea. That's awesome. Um... Cool. So you were so you were doing uh, some 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 work with students during college. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it go anywhere after that? Yeah, actually. So what ended up being really cool about having um, a bunch of students when I was in school is I had a job offer lined up for right after school. There you go. That's the way you want it. Mm-hmm. So you get you know like I was able to have references and um, experience. You know, so my resume on paper, I look like I'm doing, so- I mean, yeah. I was doing stuff, but on paper, you know, you can kind of make it look pretty serious. And you put in one cool mom as a reference, they talk you up. Mm-hmm. You put in four years of teaching experience with X number of students. And like, you know, suddenly mm-hmm. you're more experienced than other people. Yeah. So after that, I went and started teaching at this place in New Hampshire, which is an amazing music school. I'm going to plug them right now. The Seacoast Academy of Music. Hell yeah. And um, they are a music school, mostly after after school programs, so mostly private lessons, but they also do a ton of ensembles and um, like theory classes, jazz ensemble, rock ensemble, run by this amazing woman named Christine Petrucci, and uh, yeah, she was like my my mentor for for a few years, and um, she and this other girl I'm friends with, Jamie Sokolowski, started a program doing satellite, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a satellite music program that would go to different schools. So in New Hampshire, there's a lot of schools that have awesome music programs, and then there are pockets of schools that either don't have them at all or have them, but they're very limited. So we pitched Hmm. this program to schools where we would go to a school and say, hey, like, you don't have much going on. We have this program. Are you interested? And, like, almost all the schools took us up on it. So I would have um, a couple private students a week at the Music Academy, but mostly was traveling in public schools in New Hampshire and and teaching with our program. Hmm. Wow. Wow. What did you like doing? What did you like about doing that job? Um, oh my God. It's just so fun having students. Yeah. Having like 
just being like a like a mentor to kids um I feel like music is such a cool way to to open kids up and and a lot of times private lessons are Mm one-on-one so a lot of times these are kids who don't have one-on-one time with anyone you know and so um maybe they're struggling in school maybe like there's problems at home maybe you know they're just they just don't have a way or an outlet to talk about their feelings and I feel like music is a really cool way to be like all right, we're working on this this week. How's that going? And Aww. they bomb it, you know? And you're like, okay, that didn't go well. What's up? You know? So it's like a really they, good way I to... I can tell something's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can tell, like, just through the way they play or, like, you know, the way they carry themselves. And it's a really good opportunity to be like, what's up? Like, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. And, and now let's push through it. So it's a really... I feel like it's a really safe environment to help kids figure out how to have conversations like that and to figure out a way to kind of just power through it you know Mm -hmm. so that was my favorite part I really liked being that person for kids and being like a resource and and an outlet and having you know their their special safe half hour a week set aside where they can come in and it's like all about them you know yeah and I think that's transferable too because um one of the so I one of my earliest student teaching setups was in a middle school and I you kind of you kind of pick up on which students have it a little bit better mm-hmm. than others and really which students have it a lot worse yeah and the students I noticed the students that would tend to gravitate toward me were the ones who didn't have it very well at home and I can tell I could tell and like because I gave them attention right and I like worked with them and I would like get down on my knee and like while they were writing something like let's work on this sentence together and be like why do you give a shit about this sentence (laughs) but then they would be like oh you actually care about this sentence that I'm working on and I think that that's one of the especially working with like younger folks is one of the things because like one of the craziest things about education is because you can truly see the the learning happening Mm -hmm. and i bet with music the the breakthroughs are wild because like with writing because i taught writing writing is like you can notice when people are starting to use commas appropriately but with (laughs) music it's like a whole different language i mean a little bit there's a lot of like small stuff like that like uh using the right fingering for a certain note or Mm. you know like small habits correcting your hand position like implying good breathing there's a lot of like little minute stuff but yeah there can be some big moments of breakthrough like finishing something you Mm -hmm. know like a or doing a recital yeah where it's just like hey you did that yeah how does it feel what were some of the struggles you found doing that kind of work um i you know this is gonna make me sound like a grandma but i really had a lot of music too loud (laughs) (laughs) i had to wear earplugs (laughs) no i really had a lot of trouble with um the inspiring this generation of, of younger kids um i was just shocked I would always ask them, you know, our first lesson, I would have some smaller group lessons and, but mostly one-on-one. So every time I would have a first lesson with someone, I would be like, so what do you listen to? Mm -hmm. And they, most of them like didn't listen to anything. And so I was like, that's fine. No problem. I'm going to make you mix CDs. Like I'm going to, you know, I was like, that's fine. Like I'll fill that role for you. And none of them were interested. Hmm. So it was like really challenging to be like, well, so why are you doing music if you're not interested in music? And why are you like devoting time and and you know your parents money and energy into this if you're not 
actually curious about it. And so I had a hard time really building the curiosity because Mm. I felt like for me as a kid, I was like around music. I knew I wanted to do music. I was like psyched about it all the time. I loved the Beatles, like, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, you know, and you're, you're just like a music kid. So it was really hard for me at first to figure out how to inspire this generation of kids who aren't listening to music the same way and like maybe aren't listening to music at all Mm -hmm. and whose parents maybe aren't listening to music. So that that was hard at first. That that was definitely like a, a big unexpected challenge for me. That's so interesting because I feel like right now, <clears throat> music is the most accessible it's ever been mm-hmm. in like the history of music, and it's the most like it's like way easier to just make it and put it out for sure. And so it's always it's always a big surprise to me, even when I meet some of my grown ass students who I'm just like. You're still streaming music on YouTube? <laughs> Hold on. Like, you can get Spotify for $3 uh, as a college student. Like, yeah. you should take advantage of that. I can pay it for you. C- come on. Yeah, the YouTube streamers blow my mind because it's, like, uh, it's vapid. Like, you mm-hmm. listen to it, but then how do you remember to go listen to it again yeah. two years from now? Yeah. Like, it's just gone. It's, it's also, go. like... I hope you're streaming that through Wi-Fi because that's hella data. That's hella using. data. <laughs> Come on, get that get that shit together. Yeah. All right, time to take a quick break from the conversation with Hannah to talk a little bit about No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths, which is an organization I brought up a couple episodes ago, but it's an organization that is based in Southern Arizona that is trying to get support supplies to folks on the U.S.-Mexican border so that they can uh, help support people who are trying to get in this country uh, safely and uh, legally and for folks who are trying to seek asylum and and who are refugees, getting folks some uh, socks, blankets, water, medical support, all sorts of those kinds of needs. Um, They have all sorts of volunteers who needs help and um, folks who are providing emergency first aid treatment and whatnot. So if you want to support No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths, please go to nomoredeaths.org and you can find out a whole bunch more ways that you can donate and send supplies and learn more about the work that they're doing. So please go to nomoredeaths.org and learn more about No More Deaths, No More, no Mas Muertes uh, today. Let's get back to this conversation. So you make music with Lilith. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> How long's that been going on? Um, I think like for me, five or six years, I want to okay. say. And then um, the current iteration for like a couple years. Cool. Yeah. Where did the idea for that come up? Um, it was born out of boredom. And <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like a really rude awakening for me to graduate from music performance school yeah where you know your whole day is packed with you have chamber music rehearsal with these four friends and then you have large ensemble with these like 20 friends and you know you're busy all day doing music stuff Mm -hmm. um and it's social and it's like awesome um and then when you graduate it's like all gone unless Mm -hmm. you know you find a way to break in to professional music but you know that's it's like not feasible after Mm -hmm. you get a bachelor's degree and especially if you're in, in somewhere like new hampshire where there's like very little opportunity um, so I graduated and 
I was, like, really trying to keep up my academic pursuit of music, and it was just, like, suddenly so unfulfilling and, like, so lonely, and I was like, this, like, isn't it for me. Mm. And so I started kind of, like, noodling on guitar, playing songs, and had friends around that were also musicians, and so that became, like, my social way to do music again and, like, reinvigorated a purpose for me and became a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was during college, then, that you were putting it all together um like right after i graduated right after yeah, okay yeah, yeah. all right yeah because during college it was crazy you're just like so busy all the time doing stuff and then after it was just like hmm. <laughs> like where did everything go <laughs> that's fun yeah that's wild because like my first real experience making music was in college because like the only that was my first exposure to people who were actually good at making music yeah and which was weird because I was at an engineering college in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. And like, <laughs> but it turns out engineers make really good musicians. Yeah. Who would have thought? Oh, I have thoughts about that. Yeah? Mm. What are those thoughts? Oh, should I share them? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, <laughs> this is going to be like a big tangent, but I have like a... You're have like at a, the right podcast. I have a theory. <laughs> um, I feel like there are fewer innovators musically right now, mm-hmm. especially um, mainstream innovators, because there's like no money in it. Mm-hmm. So people who would normally gravitate to being like world changing musicians revolutionary musicians are doing um like science or mm-hmm. um engineering jobs because Something stem yeah because yeah. it pays them you know yeah. and can you blame like it's a sustainable lifestyle yeah. and can't blame them and then they can still do music for fun well and i think that there's some transferable stuff there because they're so in yeah again yeah we're gonna have a good tangent here it's fine <laughs> i don't mind um being around a bunch of engineers in college was being around people who could, you could pose any problem to them. We would sit around and drink for like a couple hours and we'd talk about ways to solve that problem. And yeah. I'd watch them. I'd watch them work it out. Mm-hmm. And I was not an engineer major, <laughs> yeah. but I would sit and I would engage in the conversation, but they were like figuring it out. So when it came to songwriting, like that's exactly where they were transferred. They were like, oh, we should so do. Cool. We should do this that many times. We could Jake, let's try this time signature there. And like, and it was wild to watch my friend. Like mm-hmm. one of my, my, my best friends in college were in this prog ska band and they made some of the most dynamically ridiculous music. Every single member of the band was an engineer. Wow. That's so Every cool. Every single member. Wow. Yeah. Even their whole horn section. Yeah, like, music and math brains are really similar. Do you know about like the like connecting of hemispheres that music does? Kind of. It's, please, please, please explain. Oh, to I me. can't wait. Um, <laughs> I think music is either one of the only or the only activity that actually um, engages both hemispheres at the same time. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, isn't that wild? So like math is. Oh shoot, I'm gonna. I'm not brush up on my, my science of music, but one hemisphere is for math I think things. the left is creative. Yes. And then the right is... Like, love. <laughs> Was it not creative? Not creative. <laughs> <laughs> like, for, formula thinking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so music engages both at the same time. So literally your whole brain lights up. Yeah. So that's probably why that's engineers so are such good um, creative thinkers. So I was around great musicians for the first time, and I was getting, like... I was like, I want to be in a band. I want to do this. But I was never really good at anything except for yelling. <laughs> Seriously. So I joined a metal band. Yeah. And I just yelled nice. for like three years. Cool. And then when I was kind of getting phased out of the band, <laughs> for one reason or another, Aww. 
uh, I was getting way too involved uh, with other parts of the campus. And then um, I started to teach myself how to play guitar. Nice. So that was a pain in the ass, and I'm still trying to figure it out. It's so hard. It's, it's so it hard, is. and then it's easy, and then it's so hard again forever. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I picked it up. I learned pretty quickly, figured some stuff out, and then, like, basically didn't pick up a guitar for two years because of grad school. Yeah. And then only recently have I felt like I'm becoming a better guitar player. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for your new wave of inspiration. My therapist suggested taking a guitar to work, so I did, and now I get to play it a little bit every day. So That's so cool. Just a little bit every day. I want a therapist that suggests that. I want, like, a doctor's note that says I can do that. <laughs> and that's, that's what so I said cool. to, like, the people in my suite. It was like, hey, this is therapist recommended. Yeah. Y'all gotta listen to it. Yeah, you have this to my, deal. This is my therapy instrument. That's so cool. Just let me do it. Wow. So how did gigging go at first? Um, at first it was like friends gigs all the time, you know, mm-hmm. just like uh, I was like still living in New Hampshire when I first started. Um, so it was like, you know, playing with your friends bands. Mm-hmm. The New Hampshire scene was like kind of up and coming. Um, <clears throat> and so that was like a really easy way to get into it. It's like, oh, my friends are doing it. So mm-hmm. now I'm doing it, I guess. And um, then moved to Boston and, like, everything changed. that make it a little easier? Um, kind of both. Okay. Um, at, f- at first, I was, like, really, I, like, had no idea how to break into the scene. I was, like, going to a lot of shows, was a fan of a lot of bands, but, like, couldn't really figure out how to break into the scene. Um, and then eventually figured it out. You know, you go to enough shows, you meet the right people, you end up with, like, the right friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you end up with all this opportunity. So at first, it was like, oh, my gosh, like, I made a mistake. <laughs> I was, like, still driving back up to New Hampshire to play shows because, like, I couldn't figure it out. And Mm -hmm. then eventually it just, like, clicked, and it's been awesome since then. It's also, I mean, I moved here from Oregon, so I didn't have a lot of concept of how to even get involved in a city in general. Yeah. And so moving to the city was one of those things where I was like, I know if I'm just patient, we'll make this work. If I'm just patient, we'll make it work. We... It, it takes getting really out of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. Going to stuff alone, you know, like perusing, you kind of like lurking the people of interest to see what they're doing. To, yeah, yep. it, it really is a lot of pushing yourself to get there. It's almost like, like getting into a scene is almost like dating. <laughs> I love that. How? Please tell me how. Because you don't want to be too forward. Mm hmm. You don't want to be like, hey, I play in this band. I do this thing. Like, what? Let me, let me help. Blah 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 blah. Oh yeah. You don't want to be like, too creepy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be like stalking on people. You also don't want to like. You don't want to be a jerk. Right. Either. So it's like finding a good balance of like being a good hang. Yep. Showing up to the gigs. Yep. And just showing that like you have something to offer without being like too over the top about it. And like, that's, yeah. that's hard for me as a person. Cause I'm super over the top <laughs> of everything I do. Yeah. So I had to like, <clears throat> I kind of had to humble myself real quick when I moved here. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I even have a, a line in a poem where I was like, if I, I said, if I can make it here, I could do anything because it was so hard. Even as someone who's super outgoing to like see a bunch of people at gigs, like, They've already had their relationships right, built. Right, right, right. They've already gone to all these gigs and all these bands that they've been in and that were already legendary have already broken up. And I'm just like, yeah, those sounds like those were fun times. I know. Yeah, I totally relate to that feeling. I think now that I'm like remembering, I think the only way I was able to like actually comfortably break in was 
started I started writing about bands for mm-hmm. Post Trash, that website um, that Dan from Exploding and Sound runs, and mm. it was like, okay, now I have like a reason to talk to these bands. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like so shy. I was like, oh, like at least this way I have something to say to them. So yeah, yeah but I was like super shy about it at first. Gosh, yeah, we um, yeah, we just and that's kind of how we got into going to comedy and going to gigs. We just started. <clears throat> Showing up. Yeah. And just talking to the people that we could tell were running the things. We're mm-hmm. like, hey, we love to just hang out and get to know, like, where are the other shows? Where where do people go? Like, just asking those questions. And yeah. You end up figuring that stuff out after a little bit. Yeah. I think, like, having a genuine interest makes a big, really big difference. People and, can tell. Yeah. And making it not one of those things where you're clearly looking like you're trying to use someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like... I feel like our generation's the folks who can, like, kind of fucking tell. Mm. <laughs> what, you're trying to get something out of me? No. It's not, right. It's not happening. The government's got enough out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let you trick me. Too. Yeah, for real. Um, so one of the things that I have been completely in love with lately, last, I don't know, five or so years, is um, the, the complete insurgence of femme non-binary queer individuals just taking over the scene right now hell yeah and i i love it because as a dude that came from a metal and hardcore scene that is toxic as fuck yeah um it's just nice to like feel like the scene is transitioning into a, a space that is a little bit more um i don't know inclusive use that word um what are your thoughts on uh, just the scene in general transitioning um, to like a much different look than it was even like 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. I guess I have so many thoughts on this. Um, That's fine. I'll try and like channel it into my experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like when I started playing music, I really didn't have that much of a concept of like my existence being politicized just from like being a woman Mm -hmm. in a band and didn't really think about it and it is really interesting to think about how um like your experience can change the way you think about something so for me it was i understood feminism and i understood it but only from the perspective of like i had read books on feminism and i had you know, so I I had never been in a position where I felt like I was being oppressed. You know, I had, like, a easy education, like, nice family. You know, it was never, I was never, like, oh, I'm specifically right now being oppressed. Yeah. Until, you know, once you hit these certain waves of, um, I guess, success or achievements as a band, it starts to get harder and harder mm-hmm. because you're up against these oppressive systems. So, for me, it was, like, a big kind of learning about feminism through my own experience and now I feel like I'm a very seasoned and aware feminist from living it yeah um but only because you know I pushed myself and there are other people who don't have the privilege that I have Mm -hmm. of getting to learn about feminism through trying to move your art around like that's a really easy way to learn how to be a feminist um so I didn't really understand the whole scene being so politicized until like I would say like the past couple years like two years ago is when I started to really understand it and now I think it's sick like I think Mm -hmm. it's awesome and like I love seeing so many powerful figures and voices and people speaking for this and like I'm not shy about speaking about it anymore and I think it's really cool yeah hell yeah and amazing no it's it's so sick because 
Um, I don't know, Katie and I have talked about this on the podcast before, and we've had uh, a couple members of, like, like women who front hardcore bands and, like, use use the the stage to just be like this is a space where we want queers trans non-binary femme folks taking up space everyone else get to the fucking back and like i love it (laughs) and it's just one of those it's one of those things where i think it's also important the recognizing privilege and recognizing the space we take up not even in just like you're learning and of, of, of feminist dialogue and feminist uh, theory, but also like dudes actually trying to learn some of that shit mm-hmm. because the best lesson I ever learned was that I take up too much space. <laughs> yeah. And the first time that was ever brought up to me, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Me? Yeah. What does it even mean? Right. Like, I, I was, like, confused by it. Yeah. Until, like, I had a really good conversation with someone who just was, like, there are just some times where we need to, we as men, <laughs> need to just take a step back. Mm-hmm. And, like, because we've dominated everything for a while. And so I'm just, like, okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I don't, I still don't think there's enough of it. Oh, no, definitely not. I feel like the the example I always use is, like, um, you know how there's a Women's Day on Twitter or whatever? There's got to be a Men's Day. Yeah, there's both. Yeah. But, so, like, so like I feel like there's the wave of, of dudes who understand, um, you know, respecting women. And on Women's Day, they'll, like, tweet about, like, the women that they respect. But it's usually, like, their mom and their girlfriend, yeah. like... I know, two you know, women. The, yeah, and, and, and instead of, you know, on Women's Day, it would be a great opportunity to just not say anything, you know? Like, but I don't know. It's just funny to me. I feel like that's, like, a perfect example of it. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. Yeah, just just not, don't, mm, you don't need to add anything to Just create to space. Yeah. yeah. Just leave space. Make it so it's all non-men in the feed. Yeah. That's just my take on it. <laughs> what is uh, and now now that we're on this, I actually am very curious. What is what do you what are suggestions you have for dudes in like those kinds of spaces at gigs or even just like putting together bills? Um, wow, putting together bills is a really tough one because it's I'm just so, saying. Yeah, yeah. I ask the hard questions. I know, I like that. I'm glad. It's something <laughs> th- these are things I think about, so I'm glad. Um I'm going to talk on that one first because I feel like it's one thing I ruminate on a lot. It's it's tough to find the line between tokenizing someone and actually, like, booking a diverse bill. Yes! Um, and uh. I always know when we're being tokenized mm-hmm. on a bill, and I'm sure that people who are oppressed in more ways than I am feel that way all the time mm-hmm. or, or more often. And I just think, like, my advice is if you're a booker, if you're a promoter, like, just actually have an interest in the bands you're booking Mm -hmm. um and as long as you care about their music and their art and about what they're doing like you're not tokenizing Mm -hmm. if you don't know their music like if you don't know anything and you're just like oh i have to clear my name from this list and make sure i have like all these boxes checked just start over like (laughs) start over you already or or ask for help like ask (laughs) someone who is um oppressed you know Mm -hmm. like ask someone else be like hey i need help with this bill i feel like the only people I can think of or the only people I have resources and access to are men. So mm-hmm. I'm calling on you to help like 
throw their name on the bill. Be like, oh, this was co-booked by my friend, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, make it a collaboration. If you don't have the resources, find someone who does. Make yeah. it genuine. Collaborate. Yeah. I dig that. And what about for the taking up space philosophy of how do we get to these dudes? Yeah. I'm not asking you necessarily to, like, educate right now. No, but like, no I'm down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, I'm here I know, for like, it. <laughs> I, I know, like, some people are like, it's not my job. Oh no, this. it's so much I I feel <laughs> I feel passionate about it being cool. my job. Cuz like I, I just mean, wanted to check. Oh yeah, no, I'm down. I I've had it easy, so I'm down for the fight. <laughs> um let's see. What what can what can what can dudes do to take up less space? I oh man. I have trouble with this because I really haven't found a perfectly effective way to get through to men who I have like a firm message for. And I feel like I'm always struggling to repackage my message to make sure it's palatable and repackaging my thoughts to make sure that, like, they won't be offended or, like, be sensitive to what I'm trying to say. And so I feel like, honestly, the best way I've found to convey a message is um, by, like, having to be sweet or, like, be funny about it. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, like, if an oppressed person is bringing a message to you and they're saying that it's serious... And they're, you know, they're asking for your time. Just, just give them your time, you know? So if someone comes to you and says they need you to lend an ear about something, just, just give them your time and see what happens. I think that's the best way to start as opposed to them being afraid to say it because Mm -hmm. they might deliver it wrong or, you know, if just, just ask, you know, and Mm -hmm. then make, make time to listen. Listen. Exactly. Like just be like, hear people out. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, block off a half hour. It's not a big deal. Exactly. And like the the only thing I would add to that is there there's also and you even said you have to like kind of repackage it in a way that dudes won't feel like they're being attacked or they're being mm-hmm. too sensitive to it. And like even to that end, I'm just like that's so sad. That yeah. There, are, there's like a whole generation. I and like as a dude, I feel like there is a whole generation of men that have kind of like been raised under this guise of if it hurts my feelings, I need to shut off immediately mm. and because like I don't, I don't understand this foreign thing. I'm done. Yeah. And like just back away from it. Whereas I'm one of those people that like, like lean. I hate to use the term, but like leans into that stuff because I want, and I want more dudes to be that cognizant. But that's intimate. Yeah. That's an intimate act. And I think that's hard for a lot of men. It is. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole problem with a generation of men not Mm -hmm. understanding even intimacy or even uh, now I'm going to get into my sex ed teaching. Uh, (laughs) But like there's a whole level of not understanding how relationships truly work and non-sexual friendships with people of other genders Mm -hmm. and not assuming that just because someone is your friend, you're trying to get something out of them. Like there's a whole generation of issues between explicitly um, with, with men who don't get that. Right. And are not good at listening. And so I, I can like you, you think about, um, like the bills and men take, not taking up space. And I, I think constantly about how do I just get men to fucking listen? Yeah. And like be patient. 
Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> I ha- I haven't found a a foolproof way. No. If you find one, let me know. Neither have I. <laughs> Maybe we'll figure it out together yeah. eventually. All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast. You've been listening to me and Hannah talk about all the stuff uh, that she does with Lilith and with music, and now you can hear a full song from Lilith. I'm about to play you the song In Real Life. It is off the new uh, cassette that they have released through Disposable America. Please go to disposableamerica.bandcamp.com to get yourself a cassette copy or a digital copy, whatever you whatever you want to do. Get a copy of it. Go to disposableamerica.bandcamp.com or go to liliththeband.bandcamp.com or search for Lilith uh, on the Facebook.com. Uh, they're at Lilith Worldwide if you want to find them there. And please, just give them some support. They make some kick-ass tunes, and Hannah's a great person. So, yeah, this is the song In Real Life from Lilith off the new cassette. Check it out. Listen to it. Send them some money. Let's do this.
by Lilith, please go to disposableamerica.bandcamp.com or lilisttheband.bandcamp.com and get yourself a digital copy, get yourself a cassette copy. There's a nice little bonus track on there as well. We might play a little bit of it later. But hey, let's finish up this conversation with Hannah and then we can we can find out. Let's go! So we're going to do a lightning round. Nice. This should be fun. I'm just going to ask you, like, random things. Do I have to speak really quickly? No. Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> but you can. <laughs> okay. You can use, like, kind of the first things that come off of the top of your head, though. All right. I'm down. Um, or you can think about it, and I'll just edit it. So no, fun... no, no, no. Okay. Real deal. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Green. Oh, hell yeah. What's your favorite food? Um. Oh, man. Probably hibachi. Hibachi? Yeah. What do you like in it? I like um fried rice and veggies. Hell yeah. Yeah. Like snap peas and stuff? Yeah, um carrots, snap peas, zucchini. Do you like water chestnuts in it? Yeah, big time. Hell yeah. Yeah. Love water chestnuts. Um Oh, uh 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 I had it. Favorite place you've ever visited? Um probably Iceland. Oh really? Yeah. Is it cool? Yes. Like looking forward being to. on the moon. Are you gonna go? We're gonna try to go next summer. Oh my gosh, it's truly like being on the moon. It's like nowhere mm. else. You're gonna have a blast. Dang, that sounds that sounds nice. I'd like to go to the moon one yes, day. Yes, me too. But <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Uh, what about like a favorite movie? Current or all time? <sighs> I'm such a big Wes Anderson fan. I would have to say The Life Aquatic. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're white. We have to love Wes Anderson. Is that right? what it is? Oh, no. So. Is it my whiteness? <laughs> Your whiteness is showing. Oh, no. It's okay. So, Life Aquatic? I love it. That's cool. Yeah. I like that one. So good. I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. I like that one, too. I haven't seen the new one, though. I have. Did you? Yeah. The one with uh, Isle for Dogs? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Yes. I heard it was pretty cool. I'm embarrassed to be talking about Wes Anderson now. No, it's fine. <laughs> No, there's like a whole book. There's a whole book, Things White People Like, and Wes Anderson movies oh, is like no. the sixth thing or something. I hate it. <laughs> I think yoga is number one or something like that. Oh, God, that's so bad. Yay! Culture that's, appropriation. I know, that's exciting. <laughs> what about TV? Um, Current things you're watching? Oh, no, I'm rewatching The Office right now. That's wow. not even a cool thing to be talking no, about. No, but what's <laughs> sick is you're like the sixth guest in a row that's... <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> it's a good show. People love it. It's amazing. What is that like your favorite of all time then? Um, no, no, no. I was like a big cartoon fan for a while. Oh, yeah. Like um all the old adult swim stuff. Nice. Like um Harvey Birdman. No, I wasn't into that. Okay, I was a big Aqua Teen fan. Nice. Still big into it. Home movies, like my favorite cartoon mm-hmm. of all time. That's Sick. like that's like my been with me for generation. Like not generation, decades. Yeah, had it had it on my DVD shelf for a long time. (laughs) Generations would be sick. (laughs) Yeah, are you grandma too? Jeez. Yeah, and they all watch those cartoons. (laughs) Yeah, I would say like those two are my ride or die. What about some books? Do you Um, do you know how to read? A a little bit. Cool. Uh, I I figure you know how to read music at least. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a huge Murakami fan. Oh, cool. I just reread a bunch of his books. And they were as heartbreaking and amazing as I remembered. And I just read, do you know that Twitter so sad today? Melissa, no. is it a border or broader? Either mm-hmm. one. Uh, well, it's this big famous Twitter that tweets like really cheeky things about like being sad and burritos. Oh, um, but, that sounds great. Yeah, but she wrote, she's um, also an author and writes a lot of prose. And she just wrote this um, novel called The Pisces. 
Okay. That was sick. It was so good. Highly cool. recommend it. The Pisces. Yeah. Okay, I'll check that out. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but no, it's it's a very good um, exploration of real love versus fantasy love and why mm. fantasy love is better. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I uh, I have I'm I feel like a bad former English major. I've never read any Murakami, but like everyone tells me I need to, and I feel like a loser because I haven't. You totally should. I'll lend you a book. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're not a loser, but you got to get on that. <laughs> I do need to get on it. I know. Yeah, I've been reading um, Hanif Abdurraqib's stuff. Uh, he's like an essayist. He writes about like a lot of like pop culture and music and stuff. Cool. It's called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. Yeah. And like he has essays on like Chance the Rapper and Carly Rae Jepsen and Bruce Springsteen and the Wonder Years and stuff like just like writing about life and society through those the music those those people's music's lens so like journalism before music journalism before it was killed <laughs> well i mean like music journalism as of like last year kind of music journalism oh, okay. so he's like trying to keep it alive right that's what i'm saying because yeah. that was like what music journalism yeah. was before it was what and is- it's it's beautiful writing cool like i can show you the copy before you head out but yeah it's super good um what about, uh, we'll end on music. What are some bands that you grew up on? Um, that I grew up on? The Beatles, Radiohead, Modest Mouse, Liz Fair. Um, what did I grow up on? The Strokes. Yeah. Um, who are like my idols? Uh, Sufjan Stevens. My guy. Yeah, that's, that's my shit. Um, Rilo Kylie. What are some of your uh, favorite albums then? Uh, of all time? Yeah, or oh whatever. My God. Or what I are you currently listening to? This um, is why it's hard. This is weird. I actually today, for the first time ever, listened to Panic at the Disco. <laughs> Hold on. For the first time ever? Yeah, yeah. You had never listened well, to Well, I knew that one song. I knew the, I knew the one song. I write Sins Not Tragedies. I don't know. I chime yes. in with the- Yeah. But, so now, this is, it's cool because, uh, wow. what's his name? something Yuri Brian. Brendan Yuri. Brendan Yuri. Yeah. I probably sound so ignorant right now. You get to like learn I'm, right he's now. Fascinating. I went like down a big black oh, yeah. lawn and it worked today. Gorgeous. Yes. Next Frank Sinatra. Yes. Uh and he and I are the exact same age. No way. So he wrote their big breakout album when we were juniors in high school. Wow, that's wild. While I was going through existential everything, he was writing a landmark album. <laughs> I can't Sick. believe I'm on my first podcast and I just plugged Panic at the Disco. It's like literally so that's not where I thought this would go. It's totally fine. <laughs> the last the last album they put out was super good. The last two albums they've done has like really re, re, re like re-energized Brendan Urien. He was on he was in the he was on Broadway last year. Okay, cuz I was going to say I he listened to it. Boots. No way. Yeah. I was like this this human just cashed in on writing show tunes mm-hmm. for emo kids. Yep. Like, did, do they all know they yep. would also love Godspell? Yep. Hello. So, like, yep. He basically was way ahead of his time, and now he is really hitting his stride. Huh. Like, he's legitimately going to be the next generation of crooning, crooning music. Wow. Like, he's going to be the nightclub rat pack kind of performer now. Wow. It's fucking wild. Oh, yeah, I'm fascinated. Yeah, and I don't he's know. And he's our queer goddess yeah. who can be in the mainstream for us please I don't know. yeah i'm definitely 
I'm on board. I'm going to buy some merch. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> that's so... Like, I'm having, like, a weird moment. I'm, I'm really? like, processing... Because I grew up on Panic at the Yeah, Disco. never listened to it. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it was, like, I worked in a mall and, like... Yeah. You know, like, there were rivals between the coffee shop I worked at and, like, the Hot mm-hmm. Topic kids. Yeah. And I just, like, I don't fuck with that. Yeah. Well, I mean... I didn't really, I didn't truly listen to the Beatles until halfway through college. Okay, so there we go. Yeah. We can, we can have our yeah. differences. And I didn't really have, like, an appreciation for, like, any of that stuff until I was in college. Wow. Yeah. And wow. But, like, I, well, I was also raised on the Beach Boys. Uh-huh. And the Beach Boys and Beatles had that whole thing going on in the 60s. And mm. so, like, my family had the Beach Boys in the house Instead of the Beatles. And then so. you grow up and you realize you can have both in the house. It's nice. Yeah, it's so nice. It's really nice. <laughs> so y'all just put out a cassette, right? Yes. Cool. A double ca single. Which might be an oxymoron. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> I think it is. I just like how, how you said that. I've Thank never you. heard ca single before. You haven't? No. I haven't. So it's like a term from when cassettes are a thing. It's like, oh, we're putting out a ca single. No, but it's sick. Cool. It's two tracks? Um, well, it's well, three tracks three, okay. because we, um, Adam Demersion, who plays drums in Lilith and is also the front person of my favorite band in the world, Me and Capri's. Yeah. Um, he is also a DJ oh. and he remixed one of our tracks. So if you okay. buy the tape, you get a bonus dance remix of one of the songs. Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. Like a dream come true for me. Like a bucket list. That's so sick. Yeah. So it's well, three tracks. <laughs> well, hell yeah. We will have been playing the tracks throughout this episode. If you've made it this far, you've already been hearing it. There's already been a music break even. But hell yeah, go get all of Lilith's music and you're going to have an album. Yes. Somewhat soon-ish. Yeah. We'll probably just hype the shit out of that when oh that comes God. out too. Yay. Obviously. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yay. Yay. <laughs> We did it! Another episode done. Big thanks to Hannah Liuzzo for chatting with me this week for the podcast. It was so fun to just chill out on my back porch. Haven't tried that before, but it was so nice. Had the nice mobile unit. I used the mobile unit for the first time recording the podcast, and it went really well. I was really stoked about it. Hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you all learned a few things. I sure did, and I had a whole lot of fun. What a great chat. If you want to listen to more Lilith, please go to liliththeband.bandcamp.com. Go to disposableamerica.bandcamp.com and check out all the tunes. Download all the tunes. Buy some of the tunes. Send them some money. Get that cassette. Get that limited cassette. Support the bands. If you want to support No More Deaths, No Mas Muertes, please go to nomoredeaths.org and consider donating, uh, volunteering, or just sending some supplies for folks on the U.S.-Mexican border so we can get some folks some, some support there. And some real humanitarian needs are necessary right now, and I really hope that we can, we can help some folks out. So please go to nomoredeaths.org today. So that's all I got this week. I hope you enjoyed the conversation again. Uh, follow us on Edupunks Pod uh, on Instagram and Twitter. 
Uh, and we're going to leave you with that dancey, remixy kind of version of uh, I'll Come Over uh, from the Lilith uh, single, uh, just to give you a little bit of a taste of what you can have if you got a copy of the tape right now. But uh, until I see you all in a couple weeks, let's get to work. <laughs> <laughs>